I'd also say that uh, from your talk, I, I liked your perspective on Jana a lot. The uh, it was uh, it was a little more ordinary and a little more grounded than the impression I'd gotten before of being a special state of mind, but rather, you know, this cultivation of happiness by repeated application to wholesome thoughts or to pleasant thoughts and so forth. Uh, well, that's how it's defined in the suttas, you see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, by the way, uh, you, you have the name of David and you go by what name? Asher, Asher. Asher, okay. Yeah. All right. And you're in Los Angeles, so welcome. This is your first call. Um, and you have a question about uh, the super mundane. Mm -hmm. uh, so we can um, begin to look at the super mundane from the uh, overall teaching of the Buddha. Mm -hmm. And the overall teaching of the Buddha is just one thing. The Buddha only taught one thing. And that is Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. It's very clear in the suttas that he's talking about that both from the context and also from the uh, the Pali language. But other people try to believe that he teaches other things other than Dukkha Naroda and Dukkha Dukkha Naroda. They think that he teaches uh, uh, spiritual power. They think he teaches rebirth and reincarnation. They think he teaches um, uh, an enlightenment is, that is way out of space, mm -hmm. way up there. Mm -hmm. And that Western mentality, because of our, um, let us say, religious background, though most people who call are not actually Christians, most don't understand how deeply we are influenced by Christianity as the culture. I understand that fairly well. I was raised as a fundamentalist Christian in, in South Carolina. Um, you still are. <laughs> I'm not a fundamentalist. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, my, my, my fiance commented. Um, <laughs> I still believe myself to be a Christian uh, in the way that I mean that term, which is not the same as what other people mean by that. Uh, well, then maybe you could say that you have respect for Jesus without putting him into a Christ uh, casket. Because what Jesus actually taught was of enormous value. That in fact, much of what he had to say is Dhamma. Mm -hmm. What he didn't have time to do nor an audience who could appreciate him was any method of how to do that. He just told them in the sense of why do you aggrandize yourself that the lilies of the field are just lilies of the field. They don't have to wear special clothes. Mm -hmm. And then he says that the birds have their nests and the foxes have their holes, but the son of man has no place to rest his head. So these are the kind of things that Jesus would teach, but he didn't have an audience that understood what he was talking about. And possibly the reason for that was because they didn't have the context of Buddhism, that all they had was the context of religion. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? That's happened now for 20 over 2000 uh, years yeah. is, is that nobody understands the teachings of Jesus. I, I can see why. Uh... 
why Buddhism has sort of this outer religious form as well as the inner one in the interests of, you know, not getting hung up on a cross. <laughs> um, well, let us say that the outer form of the teachings of the Buddha mm -hmm. are merely the people who want to understand the inner core, but they don't understand it, that they've got too much Christianity, that Christianity is actually the outer shell of Buddhism. Mm. And all of the beliefs, and when I say Christianity, I'm basically talking about religion in general. Ordinary right view, I think you called it before. That, that. Ordinary right view, which means you got to follow the rules and do what you're told to do, or the big dude is going to kick your butt. I, I, I was uh, I was very concerned with following those rules until I was 18, and they uh, they told me you should go become a missionary. And I'm like, okay, well, what would I say to people who are born in some other religions and were just following their rules that they were taught? And I was like, I have nothing to say to these people. I've just been following it and believing it. Because I was told that that's what you have to do to not, you know, get set on fire forever. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, well, if God is really good, then, you know, just seeking the truth should be good enough. And I'll come back if that's the case. And so my, my faith and the goodness of God let me, allowed me to step away from this faith that was really a, a commitment to belief rather than. Right. But that faith that this taught in Christianity is, is that God is out there, but he is invisible. <laughs> okay. And that the real teachings of Jesus, which is actually stated by Jesus, in fact, in Luke 17, he teaches that the kingdom of God is within you. Mm -hmm. And it's supposed to be invisible. You're supposed to be bringing it forth on earth, not like striving to get to an imaginary or a future heaven, really. It, at least that's that's how I, I prefer to read Christianity. I would say in Christianity, the translations of uh, Earth is a problem. Oh, okay. Yes, that a better word that we can use now is actually the word location. In the sense that this is actually the original Pali word that is now used for uh, Earth or the world, uh, like loka tara, being above the world, actually doesn't mean that you're sitting uh, two miles above the North Pole. It's what it means is, is that you're above um, uh, your environment, or you're above the world, or you're above the happenings in the location that you're in. Hmm that your world is what you have a world of your senses. And there's two kinds of senses that you have. You have the in, the actual senses associated with the body, your ability to hear, to see, to feel, to touch, to taste, that kind of senses. Mm -hmm. And then you have this sixth sense, which is a conceptualization of those other feelings. The sort of thoughts and, uh, you know, the sense that the table here is a solid table and so forth, like the, yeah. Well, no, that's easy enough because the table is solid. If you don't believe me, I'll pick it up and hit you with it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is solid in that reality. Actually being solid or not, I'm talking about the way I know it's solid, so I sort of assume that it's solid, and it, it is, you know. Ah, but the physicist and all of that 
will go down to the microscopic level and say it's not solid, but guess what? That's merely a conceptualization. And that's, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so a conceptualization is the table is not solid. But there is also the possibility of taking the table, a wooden table, and put it into a fire and watch it go up in smoke. And then you can say again, the table is not solid. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I'm just, yeah, yeah. Okay, so now we have to understand context. Yeah. All right, well, the context that we're trying to point towards is, is that the world or the earth is your location, is your environment, is your immediacy. If somebody yells your name, but they're two miles away, you don't hear them, they're not in your world. Mm -hmm. They're not in your place. They're not in your location, but if they are standing within five feet of you and yelled your name, you can hear that. That's right. in your world yeah. because it's coming from the ears. Okay. And then, you know, I have the sensory experience. Yeah. So built within our culture and also within Christianity is the world is vast, it's big, the earth is huge and heaven is even huger. And hell is down below the earth or something like that, but it's huge enough to, for you, okay? Yeah. And, and this uh, three levels um, <clears throat> is actually a better way of looking at it would be that these are not three planes of existence or three different locations, but rather they're just three states of mind. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that even the middle state is a mixture of the top and the bottom. Just like uh, if you have a piece of paper that's white on one side and black on the other, and it goes continuously gray, it depends upon how you use it. But if you go down to the pixel level, that gray area is just a mixture of this pixel black, this pixel white, this pixel black, this pixel white, but to the eyes, it winds up being gray. Right, right. All right. So. Let's then look at uh, your original question back to the teachings of the Buddha mm -hmm. and that we can actually work within the context of Christianity. And I'll give you this kind of little story that almost all of the Christians that you'll ever find know about the golden rule. They also talk about agape. They talk about uh, friendship and kindness and generosity and uh, charity. Right. And That's all of that kind of stuff. And yet when you have two Christians talking to one another, they wind up fighting over the story. Some believe in hell, some believe in heaven, some believe this, some believe that, and they'll wind up fighting. And in fact, they're missing the entire teachings of the of Jesus. Is by let's treat other people the way that we want them to treat us. Mm-hmm. Which means we don't argue with people because we don't want arg them arguing with us. It's okay for us to not talk about what we disagree about. Mm -hmm. And start concentrating or, or focusing or paying more attention to the things that are valuable, wholesome, uh, useful of Christianity. Rather than paying attention to uh, the magical stories that some people believe and others don't. And then they have a, a big argument about it mm -hmm. because neither side can prove it's almost like this imagine that a football play uh, a football fan 
from let's say Manchester walks into a bar in Liverpool, not recognizing that this bar is a hotbed of the other team. Mm. So he gets into an argument about my team is better. No, your team is a piece of crap and my team is better. But in that bar scene, neither one of them have any proof of which team is better. Mm -hmm. But in fact, they can't even uh, um, do uh, the simple thing of setting the criteria so that they could know how to select which team is better or not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And to the point, it's not really an argument. It's a productive experiment. Yeah, right. And, and so this is the problem with Christianity is, is that nobody's got any evidence for anything. But we do have clear evidence that what the what Jesus actually taught is very, very similar to what the Buddha taught. It's mm -hmm. just in a different context and a different language. Yeah, yeah. OK, so if we can come at it from that, what we can say is, is that uh, Buddhism then can help you be a first quality, top notch Christian. But I wouldn't even want men to use the word Christian because that confuses everybody because they think they know what a Christian is. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I have some attachment to the term, let's say, but <laughs> it's uh, I guess in some ways I would like to show there are other ways to be a Christian and to think about Christianity that are that are valuable and have those validated by some of the fundamentalists who who would be against that because I see the the sort of way faith as like this ideological commitment I would call it to a specific belief is being used in a very tribal and controlling way and I remember like from childhood um they would encourage people, you know, women mostly, but would go to these meetings where they were doing spiritual warfare, you know, which is very much in this magical point of view where, you know, they're viewing essentially their their political and tribal and cultural enemies as right. uh, being associated with demonic forces. And I'm like, you're just training yourself into viewing these people as your enemy instead of viewing them with love. And that that kind of thing bothers me a little Isn't bit. Isn't that interesting? Right. So Christianity actually does not practice the teachings of Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah. Full stop. It Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So most. They, they, they try here and there. Well, you could actually understand then that one of the ways of, of looking at the teachings of Jesus is what the Buddha actually taught in the sense of let's stop being at war, let's stop being enemies of any and everything and start being friends instead. Because that's the major teaching of the Buddha and that it's stated in that one simple statement of Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. What's, what's Naroda? Like I, I have a sort of concept for Dukkha, but I, I don't know what Naroda is. Well, Dukkha Naroda means the end of it or changing it around. So you could say then that if Dukkha is actually dissatisfaction in any and all forms, mm -hmm. then Sukha, the opposite of Dukkha, would be then satisfied with everything, regardless of its form. Mm -hmm. It is satisfying, satisfactory. Okay. 
So in that regard, when Christians go to fight with each other over uh, this belief or that belief, then that's dukkha because no one is satisfied. Even the people who are promoting that view, they're still not satisfied because it's still just a view for them. It's still just a belief system. It's not real. They haven't really put it into practice in their their heart, I suppose. Well, guess what? They don't even know how. Yeah. And that's the part that Jesus left out, is that he didn't teach them how to do it. But he did indicate, he pointed in the direction, especially in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's trying to keep them up and stay watchful all night. Which is a very Buddhist practice, to stay up and watch all night. A little embarrassing, but it's been a long time since I've been a fundy. Garden of Gethsemane? I've heard of it. I can't remember what. The The Garden of Gethsemane is the place where Jesus was, in fact, captured. That's the scene where the ear got cut off. But he was already there all night. And he would have to wake up his followers because they would go to sleep where he was up on vigil. He Uh, was up all night. He was awake. He was aware. And he was trying to teach that even at the last thing that he had to do before he got caught and it was all over with was he was trying to give them a method. mm -hmm. He was trying to teach them to wake up, to Mm -hmm. look at what's going on, to become aware. I, uh, I like that. There's a there's a song I like. Uh, it's by uh, Twenty One Pilots, and and the the singer is a Christian, and uh, he says in it, "Faith is to be awake. To be awake is to be alive." And you know, also inhale fire, exhale desire, and he's he's singing about like how to get through depression, basically. <laughs> well, but Christianity needed help because the actual methods never got taught very well and had gotten lost in the religiosity of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so, in fact, the real teachings of Jesus are not even in Christianity. But you could then say that, well, what happens with Buddhism? Because Buddhism has that same sort of core, uh, excuse me, it, seemed, it has that both the core or the inner part of the teaching of the Buddha and then all of this religious stuff on the outside of it to where Christianity only has the outside of it because nobody knew how to get to the core. Mm-hmm. Now, here's something that's quite beautiful about that, and that is, is that the core, which is empty or missing in, in uh, Christianity, is not a hard core like many people think. It's not like an avocado with a hard core. It's much more like a jelly donut, <laughs> where, the, where the core is gushy. so this is the same then we can say is is that all of that outside stuff all of that external stuff the the wrapping around is the dukkha and that the dukkha naroda is going to the inner part which is where jesus says that the kingdom of heaven actually exists the kingdom of heaven is within you you probably are fair, uh, aware of that message, even though very few Christians ever point that out. Yeah. Because they keep thinking that they have a sky daddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like, 
I like kind of the philosophical view on God, where you know, if you if you call somebody omnipresent and omnipowerful, well, that just means they're everything. <laughs> All right. Well, guess what? This I I know something that actually is. All over the place. There is not one place that this thing does not exist. It's also very smart in the sense that it will grab you anytime. Okay. Okay. And it's all over the place. And that is gravity. Gravity is omnipresent, it's omnipotent, and it's omniscient. I mean, look what rockets have to do to get to escape from gravity. And even when they do, they haven't really escaped all of gravity. They've just escaped the immediate gravity. Yeah. Yeah, and one thing I've been... And so God is gravity. Yeah, yeah, like that, exactly. Uh, or, and when I tell that to Christians, they hate my guts. <laughs> I, don't, I don't hate your guts for that. I, I rather like your guts. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, I, I think didn't, you would know that about uh, uh, that phrase because that's t typical of South Carolina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, can you step back just a little bit? Your microphone is getting buzzy when you talk too loud and too close. I can also turn on a little. Yeah, if you've got a booster or some sort of volume control, you can turn down the mic. So uh, I'm um, able to to do that. Let's see. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a computer programmer by trade, so. <laughs> There we go. Well, that won't help your Christianity at all. <laughs> Being a computer programmer? Right. How's that? Because, well, because computer programmers have to learn how to think logically, step-by-step -step sequence of events, making algorithms, testing stuff out, and everything about Christianity cannot be tested. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps it's made me a worse Christian and a better Buddhist. I don't know. <laughs> well, why not just go for being a first-class, honorable, noble human being? That's what I want. That's what I want. I, I like the uh, I like the concepts and the descriptive frameworks as a way to to understand my experience and relate to it like uh about this gravity thing i've actually been thinking recently you know if you drop two things that are different weights they fall at the same rate and this has been true for a long time but it took humanity a long time to realize this even though it's repeatedly apparent in our experiences over and over again it took until uh galileo many people kept dropping feathers though yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah, because the air resistance. Yes, absolutely. And that makes it harder to see because you've got you've got this uh, extra extra factor confounding things. And uh, and I see see the Buddha as having sort of done something similar to Galileo, where he you know, there's this experience is present for us all the time, but he really paid attention to it and and noticed some things about how it works. Right, so this is part of the observation, and we're about to get into that. Cool. So we, we started with the point then of Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. Mm. Now, Christianity teaches that you're going to have Dukkha, you're going to have a lot of Dukkha, you're going to have it for a long, long time, and then when you die, you can have some Dukkha Naroda if you <laughs> do what we tell you to do. <laughs> okay. Otherwise, you just get lots and lots of extra Dukkha. 
Right. Precisely. <laughs> so this is the mentality of the Western mindset. Mm -hmm. And that everything about the teaching of the Buddha has to do with what's happening right here in this moment. Not what's in the past and not what's in the future. In other words, we no longer use a calendar. We don't even use a watch. Because okay. time is not important. The only time that you'll ever have is right now. That's the only time there is. Hmm. What about cause and effect? Well, cause and effect happens immediately. It doesn't get delayed. Christianity thinks of cause and effect getting delayed. If the man rapes his daughter this year, he's going to live for 45 more years, and then he dies, and God will get him then. So The reality is, is that his relationship with his daughter is wrecked now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> One second. All right. <laughs> um, so with, I guess every reason I bring up cause and effect is we, like, even if it's immediately, we usually think of it as the effect is immediately after. Are you saying there's a cause and effect at the same time? No, I'm saying that it depends upon your time scale. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Okay. That, uh, that humans tend to go thinking in some cases in nanoseconds, and in other cases they think in centuries, mm -hmm. or on days, or weeks, or lifetimes, that kind of thing. Gotcha. Uh, a much better way of looking at it in our uh, uh, thing is this second. Mm -hmm. What's happening this, you know, from tick to tick? Mm -hmm. What happened in that time frame? That's, this yeah. is the uh what we're looking at so we're not looking down at the uh the nanosecond range because the mind doesn't work that fast that the mind is not an electrical machine it's an electrochemical yeah. machine so it does yeah. take some time for the chemicals to to go from the say the pituitary gland right. down to the adrenaline gland and then the adrenaline gland has to pump out adrenaline and it takes a little while for anxiety to occur but it got started because of a thought. Mm -hmm. Now that thought could be that you actually see danger. You can see somebody pointing a gun at you and you within about one second, you feel tense and uptight and anxious. Or you can think of someone pointing a gun at you or even think of them pointing an email at you. And <laughs> within one second, now you're all uptight and anxious. Yeah. Okay, so. This is what we're getting at is, is that our thoughts determine our behavior. That makes, yeah, absolutely. And our thoughts determine our feeling, that what we're thinking about determines how we feel. That there's an interrelationship between feelings and thoughts that if you're really, really angry, it's really hard to think. This is, so there are many places that that's true. Getting a fighter really angry will give you an advantage in any kind of combat, even in chess. If you could get your chess opponent really pissed off at you because you're doing things like piddling with the pieces or uh, uh, giving him funny faces when he's trying to watch the uh, the chessboard. That in I've, fact, I've, I've definitely made use of misdirection when playing chess. <laughs> okay, so. 
that's the whole idea then is, is that there is that interconnection between the mind and the feelings. This is an important yeah. point. So getting back then to it is, is that if we understand Dukkha, Dukkha, Naroda as the Four Noble Truths, which means that Dukkha does exist, dissatisfaction does exist. Now, many people think and say something like that life is shit and then you die or that life sucks. Yes. Well, no, life does not suck. If you don't believe me, just stop breathing and see what happens because you actually have a death sentence. You're going to die in two minutes. And the only way that you're going to stay alive is by taking the next breath. And you will very naturally make that choice. And you will very naturally with great, great uh, consternation. You can work very hard with your hands to stop it, but the body itself demands to take that next breath. Mm -hmm. And so why not enjoy it? Because it's going to happen anyway. Why fight it? So this is the way that we think of that Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda uh, means that Dukkha exists, but it's not life itself, this Dukkha. That in fact, we could say it this way, and that is, is that life sucks because we keep sucking. If you would stop sucking on things, life wouldn't suck. <laughs> yeah. And what is that sucking? That's wanting things, wanting and wanting and grasping and cleaning and sucking. And I need this and I need more of that. And I need to be right. I need to prove to you that my belief is true because I don't quite believe my belief myself. So if I can convince you to believe what I believe, then that will help me to believe it better. And yeah. so now you've got a Christian argument at hand because people <laughs> don't believe the same thing. They can always find something to argue over. Yeah. Rather than looking for something to agree with. Mm -hmm. Which is basically what we're talking about now, that in fact, this, this dukkha has a cause. It's got a reason. It's got rationales behind it. And what is that? Is that we suck on stuff. We want it to be different. That we are, in fact, creating our dissatisfaction through our desires, our wants, our greed, our uh, not liking, and that we do all of that ignorantly. If we were wise, then that would mean that when we want something and we don't have it, that we would give up on it. I don't want it. I don't have it. Or I, I want it. I don't have it. Therefore, why should I want it right now? I can put aside that want. And now I'm not in a state of dissatisfaction. That would be the wise way to do it. And if we can put aside all of our arguments for a moment inside the mind, then we can find some peace and quiet and some rest in that moment. That's the Dukkha Naroda part. That's the third noble truth. The third noble truth is, is that you can be satisfied, that there is a cure to that dissatisfaction, which we can call a spiritual disease. The spiritual disease is not being satisfied. Mm -hmm. And so all we need to do is get ourselves into a state of satisfaction. That's Dukkha Naroda coming out of our dissatisfaction into satisfaction. And it's a piece of cake if you've got the right method. As we started talking, that's the problem that Jesus didn't convey is he didn't give them a method. He didn't give them a way to do it. And that in uh, uh, English, uh, in Buddhism, Western Buddhism calls this the Eightfold Noble Path. 
by calling it an Eightfold Noble Path, they're automatically making a mistake because it's not a path. What is a path? A footpath, a bicycle path, uh, a highway, a runway. It's to get from here to there, which means that you are not where you want to be and you've got to go down this path in order to get there. It's a journey. And the reality is, let us say that what needs to be done is this door needs to be opened. And most people have the idea that the door to be opened is a thousand miles or a thousand years from now. And I've got to work really hard to get to the door, where in fact the door is right there in front of you. That door is right now, right here. Here it is. How do we open the door? And so there's a method for opening that door. And that is, in any door, you take the key, you put it in, you turn uh, the key, you turn the knob, and you push the door open. And that's all there is to it. Four steps. Um, so, the first thing that we have to do, though, is to recognize here's the door. And that we've got the key. That recognition of the door and the key, then, is what we would call sati. Putting the key into the door is now the investigation. How do we open this door as we put the key in and turn it? So we have to do this, uh, look at it this way. There is actually three things now. One is sati, to wake up, to look at what the mind is doing. And when the, uh, the mind or this door is closed, then we have to open the door with one's right effort. One's right effort then is going to then change the thought that we have in the mind, like uh, the thought of, oh, I've got to go to town right now, or oh, I got to go buy something. And then the next thought can be is to wake up to that and say, wait a minute, I don't have to go to town right now. I don't have to think about going shopping right now. I can sit here and just relax and be happy instead. I don't have to think about going and doing anything that I'm already okay right now. Whatever I was thinking about to go shopping for can wait. And what so, about can't wait? I guess. Well, uh, but can't but I, wait is almost no. always a mental condition. Yeah. I can't wait for it. I've got to have it now. That is an unwholesome thought. That's clinging. That's sucking. That makes life suck is because you need something right now. And so you start sucking and then your life sucks at that moment because you don't have something that you want. So the question is, can you see those kind of thoughts? Those thoughts of, I need to go to town right now. I've got to go buy that thing right now. Now, the question is, is can you, um, I'm not saying that you don't ever do anything again, but what we're doing is we're getting the mind in a state of getting the mind into a state to where anything that we find to do, we can do it well. In the Bible, it has the phrase, whatever thy hand findeth to do, do with thy heart, thy mind, uh, what else was it? Uh, thy strength. Okay, somebody put a soul in there, but we don't need a soul. That's a kind of a fish. Okay. 
That's what you put on your shoes. But a soul <laughs> don't need. What we need is, is to put our mind and our strength into what we're doing in the present moment. And most people put desire in it instead. In other words, they want to get the work finished. They want to get it done. They're not enjoying the work. They call it labor. In fact, we call these things job, labor, and work because we don't like it. If we Absolutely. change our attitude about it into this is fun, this is a toy, I'm having a blast here. I I do computer programming as my job because I just really like it. I love programming. I don't like everything, all the programming I have to do for my job, but I enjoy the activity itself. I enjoy learning about it. So, you know. Okay. So this is the way then that we can begin to see things, but let's back up to the fact that what we're doing, wherever we go and whatever we're doing, we do it as it were a job or we're supposed to do it, or we've got to follow the rules or something like that. And so the practice of Anapanasati is the practice of, with this right noble supermane mundane view is, is that right now everything is okay. Right now everything is fine. And I can begin to feel good right now. I can then take that good feeling out later and get stuff done. But most people will say, I've got to go get shit done. And guess what? That's what they get done is a bunch of shit. What do they mean by that? They feel bad. They feel like shit while they're getting it done. Yeah. That getting it done is more important than how they feel. And we're turning that around by saying, no, how you feel is the more important thing. And once you get your feelings good, then you can do whatever you want to do happily. And then you'll do it better as well. And it will and actually wind up being better. And that's important. <laughs> it becomes art. Yes. Definitely. Yeah, so this is what we mean then by the Eightfold Noble Method is the method of getting the mind out of the dukkha into the state of sukha. And we practice that by number one, remembering to look at what the mind is doing. Look at these kind of thoughts that we're having, recognizing that these thoughts are not gaining me anything right now. They're making me unhappy. So I change those thoughts with one's right effort. And the effort is, is to remove unwholesome thoughts and put wholesome thoughts in, and also to take a deep breath to put the body in gear. So actually we're beginning to train the mind to have wholesome thoughts and also to train the mind to work with the breath. So when we're actually taking a deep breath, we it takes both the body and the mind to do that. So the mind and body are working together. And so we want to learn to control the breathing over and over and over again to remember to take a long, deep, easy breath and also to take a long, deep, easy thought about the breathing. Everything is all right. This is a nice breath. I'm still alive. Wow, this breath is going to be life-giving. I'm still alive. 
I can manage from now to the next breath. I'll be okay. I can handle just one more breath and stay alive one more breath at a time and start narrowing down our focus from a deep past and a deep future into just the present moment. Right now, you're okay. Right now, everything is fine. So we need to have those kind of thoughts to say, right now, everything is all right. Everything is fine. There's no worries, no place to go, nothing to do. The grass, the spring comes and the grass goes by itself. Grass don't need my help. Grass growing is not my business. I can just sit here and enjoy the grass growing all by itself. So this is the way we begin to practice is over and over again. We come back to that state of everything is okay. Everything is fine. When we start doing that and start practicing correctly, we begin to get a new attitude. And that attitude is an attitude of confidence, an attitude that we can do this, an attitude that we have success. So basically we have the beginning is to, because fear is the foundation for all of our feelings. We have to find a way to come safe and secure. That means that we want to get away from all the noise, all the flutter, everything, and get ourselves into a safe place so that we then can talk ourselves into feeling safe and actually believe it. It's really hard to tell uh, to talk yourself into feeling safe when you're tied to the railroad tracks. Or when you're tied to the laptop. <laughs> yeah. So we need to get away from it. And get ourselves in a state of everything is OK. Everything is fine. There's no worries, no problems. Nothing needs to be done and I can feel safe and secure. And with that safety and security, I can begin to feel comfortable. And when I have safety and security and comfort, now I feel satisfied. No dukkha here because I feel safe, secure, and comfortable. If the body is not comfortable, then I'm not satisfied. If I'm feeling unsafe, I'm not satisfied. But if I can get myself feeling comfortable, get the body comfortable, get the feelings down to where everything feels safe. Now we have the ability to feel satisfied. And if we practice that satisfaction over and over and over again, we begin to get the confidence that we can feel satisfied. And hey, I got this wired. I could do this. That gives us now a new attitude, the attitude of winner, the attitude of, and you know that the Buddha was referred to as a lion. He was one tough dude. You didn't mess with him because he knew what he was talking about and he was sure of himself, right? And so this is what we're developing also is that surety. We know we've got this wire. We know that we're successful. What are we successful at? Feeling good. We're successful at feeling powerful as opposed to wanting magical powers, wanting magical tricks, wanting power because we feel insecure. When we already feel secure, we don't need any magic. We don't need any power. The power is already there in that knowledge that I can handle anything. That makes this sense. Is, 
and then like if you're if you're confident that you can feel good irrespective of circumstances you don't get afraid of things you see coming because you know that you'll still be able to feel okay as yeah. towards you so you can maintain sure. it more and you have practice so it's easier to go back there when you fall out that makes sense yes okay so this is how we're going to be practicing whatever practice that we call it with whatever name that we call yeah, yeah. a lot of people use the word meditation but yeah. as you probably know, meditation is a word that is very Christian. In fact, it's quite Catholic. Is it? It's so it's so Catholic that I the Protestants know. and the evangelicals they hate it. <laughs> what they meditate? That's something the Catholics do. And I we was, threw that baby out with the bathwater. I was unaware of that that history. That's interesting. That's interesting. They call it vespers, but then they call it prayer. But we ain't got nothing to do with no meditation. <laughs> yeah, definitely. A lot of what I I was doing, like you know, like I said, seven years ago or so, wasn't wasn't like the idea where you sit still and you you know you 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 control control the mind. It was more like playful investigation of experience, sort of thing, like. I, I'd stand up and I'd spin in a circle and I'd stand still and say, well, how do I know I'm dizzy? What sensations are telling me that? And things like that. Okay, well, that's actually part of the practice. Cool, good. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the kind of thing I call meditation. Yeah. Okay, well, the meditation then would be not just being able to create something and then investigate it quick what before it goes away, like spinning right. and uh, yeah. being dizzy. <laughs> what we're looking at is something that we can apply the mind to and get the mind into a state and then sustain it and sustain it and sustain it. Mm -hmm. It means now that we've gotten the mind to begin to think wholesome thoughts and we begin to feel good. Can we continue to be on guard to make sure that the thoughts that we're having are going to be wholesome and keeping us in that state? Or are these thoughts going to be, oh, I want more. Yeah, I feel really good now, but it's not enough. Yeah, this is only one level of heaven. I want two levels or nine levels of heaven. And I'm, you know, more and more and more and more. There is the greed again. And guess what? When we become dissatisfied with our satisfaction, it's not satisfying anymore. It's dukkha. It's dissatisfaction. Yeah, actually, when when I was watching your your various interviews with Daniel, I, I definitely got to this uh, this happier state of mind. You know, this this first jhana, I suppose it would be called. You know, you know where, where I can see the way I was. You know, generating this happy feeling. But afterwards, when I went to you know I went to go play a video game or something, and then, so I was sort of stepped out of that sort of mind, and I noticed my Did my you mind need was a video tight. game do something. What's that? Then you needed the video game to do something like make you feel good. Well, also I was playing with a friend, so it was it was a social thing too. But yeah, yeah, um, and and it, it it requires a little bit of a different mind space, mind state, because you know I'm I'm competing. Um, Have you ever heard of the Harlem Globetrotters? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I haven't okay. watched them, but I've heard of them. You know, Metal Arc Lemon uh, that. They did a game that was more of an exhibition or a performance. Yeah. yeah. They didn't play basketball 
And so they would go to high schools around South Carolina and places and play the high school basketball team, making sure that the high school basketball team won every game while the Harlem Globetrotters were just all over the court playing with the balls. <laughs> nice. Sometimes even, even giving the score to the other team by putting the ball in their court or their basket from way over on the other side of the court. <laughs> nice. Okay. I like but that. that was a very enjoyable game. Think about you're doing that in your life now when you're playing video games. Play video games in the sense of having fun with them, not whether you oh, win yeah. or not. Yeah, I like I like to try to win to because I'm trying to learn to play the game well. And what satisfies me the most from playing games is when I see that I'm getting better at it, that I understand it more. Um, and like when I keep more of that attitude, I both play better and I feel better. So, you know, and, and definitely having done the, you know, the genre or the happiness or whatever uh, beforehand definitely helped me stay in that that sort of a headspace with it. But I also noticed that when I stepped away from, you know, the like actively, you know, these specific feelings that I that I could call happiness, uh, my mind was a little tired. Does does that make sense to you? Does that that come up like? Yes, it does. That, in fact, many people have to work so hard at getting happy that they wind up getting tired before they get happy. Well, I got I definitely got happy first, so that's good. But uh, and I was happy afterwards, too. I was just a little tired and there were a few unpleasant sensations. But, you know, and uh, if tired is just tired, but see, most people tired, they don't like it. It's okay to be tired. Oh, I'm satisfied and be tired. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so this is the beginning of the practice. This is Anapanasati, but we're practicing Anapanasati specifically from the perspective of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Noble Method. Okay. This is something that's generally missed in Western Buddhism, is that the real teaching of the Buddha is Dukkha Dukkha Naroda. Not all of these fancy meditation methods of uh, Mahasi or the noting or uh, Vajrayana or the Zen or any of it like that, that the Western mind misses the point. The point is, is that for Zazen, for instance, just sitting because you're already enlightened. You're already feeling good. That's all you need. But if you say, well, I really do feel great. On a scale from one to ten, I feel like a nine and ain't good enough, and I want a ten. Well, guess what? It's really not a nine if you want a ten. A nine, just a real nine, is a nine enough. But a nine that needs a ten is actually more like a two. <laughs> that makes sense. So this is the way we want to practice is getting ourselves into a state of satisfaction. And then being able to maintain that by having the mind on guard to make sure that unwholesome thoughts about wanting more or wanting it to be different or wanting something new, those thoughts could be seen. Aha, I see that. And then throw those thoughts out and come back with thoughts like, oh, well, everything is already okay. Everything is fine now. I'm just going to sit here and breathe and enjoy the moment. That's all we've got is just right now. That makes sense. And so this is the way to begin to practice. We're gladdening the mind 
We're investigating the mind. We're taking deep breaths. And as we do these things, we begin to feel the way that we're talking. One way of saying it is, is that you have spent your whole life talking yourself into feeling bad. Christians, they do it full time, talking themselves into feeling bad, promising that your future, you know, you'll have something better than this. But now is the time to stop talking yourself into feeling bad and start talking yourself into feeling good. This is good enough. This is as much heaven as I need right now. This is fine. I've had about as much joy as I can stand. I don't need any more. So we come to this idea of everything is enough. Everything is satisfying. Everything is sufficient. If we don't need a ninth degree heaven, this degree right here, whatever it is, this is good enough. Good. So those are the kind of thoughts that we want to have is this is good enough. This is good enough. This is fine. You may not get what you want, but you could still be satisfied with that getting what you want. I like that. Pretty soon you figure out you don't even have to want it. I can be satisfied and not even want it. Not even want to be satisfied? No, not want whatever it was that we wanted that we had to be satisfied without. Gotcha. Now I don't even want it because I'm satisfied without it. Hmm. So I think this is a good kind of a stopping point that we've gotten a, a very restful uh -huh. Way of looking at it. Easy peasy. Everything is okay. Great. Thank you. All right. Uh, so what are you going to call again? <laughs> tomorrow? Is would tomorrow be okay? Are you busy? Uh, let's wait a couple of days. Okay. Twice a week is good. Twice a week is good. That works for me. Yeah. Okay. Great. All right. Uh, let's see. Today is Wednesday, I believe. Yep, Wednesday. So how about Monday? Well, you see, I'm in Thailand. I don't even know what day it is. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> is it, if you're for your Wednesday, it must be my Thursday. <laughs> I think so. I think that's accurate. Yeah. So no, it does. Doesn't matter when you call. Okay. Uh, if I'm available, I'll answer. No problem. Thank you. Okay. Well, we'll see you later. And say hi and bye to your friend over there. I know somebody's listening in. <laughs> That's my fiance, and and uh, she says hi as well. <laughs> Hello. Okay. She says you have a very grandfatherly presence. <laughs> yes. That's what old men do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've earned I've earned that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not not with grandchildren, but with mere time. Yes. All right, well we'll see you. See you both. Have a good day. Bye. Okay. Bye bye.